So as they're uh, passing those around, we're in a new series. If you hadn't been with us last week, we started it called How to Grow because we look outside and we see this beautiful spring weather pouring down on us. Thank you for showing up today and uh, you didn't melt by walking in today. That's a big step forward. Um, but, but as you look out on the springtime and you see things blooming and it's beautiful, it just makes you think, I love the, the growing uh, spring, beautiful creation. And then hopefully it makes you wonder yourself, uh, at least this time of year starts to wonder me, like, am I growing? How am I growing this year? Um, what does it mean to even spiritually grow? Hopefully that question has in some sense been in you, like, am I growing? Am I really growing? So last week we talked about spiritual growth, that, that it doesn't start in the beauty of the blossoms and the things that you see on the surface. Real spiritual growth starts in the messy soil. It starts beneath the surface. It starts below in our hearts. Our hearts are, are the soil of our life where things grow, where things come to take root that bring lasting growth and lasting change. And what we learned is that our hearts need cultivation. We looked at Jesus' parable of the sower. Sometimes our hearts are hard and they need to be broken up. They're hard ground. Sometimes our hearts are, are rocky and they're, they're very shallow and we need to, to deepen what God is doing there. And sometimes our hearts are, are, are thorny and they're, they're, they're seeing the growth, but they're seeing that growth be choked out by other things. And so good soil, good hearts are hearts that are always in the process of being cultivated, of uprooting, of deepening, of breaking. God is always working in our hearts. That's what it means to begin the process of growing and allowing God access to to our hearts to bring that kind of life. Now, for many of us, talking about spiritual growth in and of itself, I've realized is a hard conversation, not because you don't want to grow, but because in spiritual growth, many of us have been taught the idea that it's simply about striving. It's a paradigm that Christianity itself is all about trying harder. It's about spiritual growth that says, I have to do more. I have to try harder. Spiritual growth equals try harder. Do more. Do more. Get your act together. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and figure it out, which leads to failure. Because when we do that, as we know, we inevitably fail. So then we try again, and then we fail again. And over time, what I've seen is that in my own life and in many conversations I've had about this is that it begins to just kind of fizzle out and you give up and you move on to something else. You walk away from, from even trying. Maybe you walk away from the church until maybe some sort of moment in your life, something big like a, a birth of a child or, or like a, a hard circumstance of sickness kind of stirs back in you this reality that maybe I need to come back to growing. I need to come back to God. And we come back to church. We try harder and the cycle starts over again until we just get tired again. Sound familiar to anyone? You ever been stuck in that cycle of this is just wearing me out? On top of that, we live in a world where, if we're honest, each and every one of us, no matter what our, 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 our profession may be, we are valued by what we produce. 
So if you are a doctor, you have uh, you, you value by, by what you produce. If you are a salesman, you have a, a certain quota. If you're a teacher, it's how your students perform. If you're a pastor, it's how many people show up to your church on Sunday mornings. If you're a stay-at-home mom, it's how are your kids behaving? Are you feeding them the right organic things? Are you putting them to bed at the right way? Are you doing all of the, the things that the, the special websites are telling you to do? You have this idea that you are what you produce. And so all of us, I would say, we'd be, if we're honest, you have that pressure on you at all times. I have to produce something, and my value in my profession, in my job, and my family is based upon what I produce. And so if you have that always weighing on you, and then you come to church or you come to city group and your mentality about spiritual growth is essentially the same thing that God and these other Christians are expecting me to produce. And then I, if I don't produce, if I don't put up, if I don't look like I'm growing and have this fruit of growth in my life, I get worn out. It just feels like everything else. I've had many conversations where people feel that very, very strongly right now. Church just feels like the same pressure that the rest of the world gives me, and I don't feel like I can measure up, and I'm exhausted from trying. So why don't I just stay home? Why don't I just stay away and not have any more of that added stress in my life when life is already in and of itself with my job and my kids and my family hard enough? So if you brought that idea today, you're not alone, and, and I know that you are weary because that is exhausting. This constant pressure to measure up and feeling like you're always failing. If that's just spiritual growth, and spiritual growth is just one more thing that I have to do on top of a thousand other things. If that's you today, I want us to take a little group exercise here, and let's just take a deep breath real quick. That's not true. It's not true. It's not true that you have to measure up. There is good news about what it means to grow today that we see in the life and the teaching of Jesus. That growth is not try harder religion. That growth is something far more unexpected than we probably thought. It's more paradoxical. It's more counterintuitive than we probably have ever figured out before. Especially in a measure up kind of world. So look with me at John 15. As Jesus is walking with his disciples, this is in his story, he's walking to Gethsemane, he's walking to his, eventually be his arrest and his beating and his crucifixion, and he's giving them the last of his teaching, kind of the culmination of everything, the, the last word, and, and John 15 is part of this, and verse 1, he's speaking to his disciples, and he says this, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches." 
The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Now, there's plenty of vineyards around Jerusalem, so it's quite possible, literally, as he's walking to his death, that they could be walking through a vineyard on the way to Gethsemane. And he's telling these disciples, as he's walking through, pointing to the the vines that they're walking right beside, I am the vine, my Father is the gardener, you are the branches. And that day, Jesus' disciples would have been very familiar in seeing many vineyards around them to know that, that a vine from a vineyard is cultivated, is brought to life, bears fruit by a very particular kind of gardening, by a very particular kind of taking care of it that maximizes the amount of fruit that it produces. A healthy vine is not one that has lots of leaves and is big and growing and beautiful. A healthy vine is the one that bears the most fruit. It's a fruitful life. And so if it's a fruitful vine that makes it healthy, then a fruitful life for us, a healthy life, is a fruitful life. Jesus wants us to live fruitful lives. He says there in the end, God is glorified when we bear much fruit. And that when we bear that fruit, it proves that we are his disciples. But wait a minute, that sounds, that has a little bit of a hint of striving, doesn't it? That sounds like that not good enough try harder religion. I have to prove that I'm a disciple by bearing fruit. Is that what Jesus is saying here? Or is that his message to us? Just try harder. You have to show everybody by your fruit that you are a disciple. No. Read the whole passage there. It says a lot of things about the vine. It says a lot of things about the gardener. But there's only one thing that it says that we have to do. It repeats it. What is it? Remain in me. Remain in me. Some of our translations will say abide, including the big Lebowski translation says abide. Says the dude abides in, no? Okay. It's a great, it's the Greek word there is minnow. It means abide. It means to continue in, to remain present, to be held and kept continually. And what do we do? Remain and we remain in the vine. All we have to do is remain in the vine. Have you seen those, those memes that say you had one job? Um, if you've ever seen those before and it's a funny picture of them not doing that one job, well, as followers of Jesus, we have one job. Abide. And when we abide, we bear much fruit, it says. The vine is the source of the plant. It's the what goes into the ground. It's the nourishment. That's where they get nourishment. It's where it gets stability. It's the heart of the plant. And we, the branches, we're told to remain in that vine, to abide, to grow deeper and deeper into the vine, to to grow together in absolute intimacy with it, to abide, to rest in, to see that that is where our life is. So it asks of us what our vine is, what is our source, what are we growing into, what are we looking to in our lives to sustain us, what are we looking to to nourish us, what provides root in our life that gives us a sense of stability. About three weeks ago, uh, there was a big storm. I don't know if you remember, there's a big kind of roll of, of thunderstorms that came through, and there's a tree in my front yard, 
and hot, pretty high up, this big giant branch fell and, and, and just kind of fell over and stayed connected. And I got it down and my tree at that point had already begun blooming and it had these beautiful purple buds. And so I got the, the branch down. It was this really big branch and it was laying there on the ground, broken off. And you could still see the beautiful little buds. It looked like it was alive. And, and if, if I brought it in the backyard and I just kind of rammed it into the ground and made it look like a tree for a few days or so, it probably would still seem to be a good and beautiful healthy tree but what I know and what you know is because it's disconnected from the source that it's pulled away from the heart of the tree that sign of life will only be there for a short amount of time eventually those buds will dry up that tree will dry up and we did what we had to do we cut it up and we put it in the the little trash can that they never give you enough room for and put it on the road. No matter how much life it looked like it had, it was destined for lifelessness because it had pulled away from its source. The degree to which we do the same thing, the degree to which we choose spiritual autonomy, the degree, degree that which we decide that we can do it in our own resource, we can do it in our own power, is the way that we do not abide in the vine. We pull away, we push away from the sense and the places of nourishment that we have. And what we don't realize is just how much of our Christianity we can do without Jesus. And that's kind of scary to think about. You see, you and I, we can learn a lot about the Bible without Jesus. And we can seek justice for the oppressed without Jesus. And we, we, can, we can go to church and we can sing and we can do all this without Jesus, we can lead worship without Jesus. We can definitely preach without Jesus. We can grow a church without Jesus. All of these things we can do technically without Jesus. But without the source, without being connected to the life of the vine, eventually everything that comes withers and fades and you see burnout. You see boredom. Or worse, you start seeing things like idolatry. You start seeing power-hungry egotism. You start seeing fundamentalism and legalism. You start seeing these things where when you are not really connected to the source and you're still trying to, to live a Christian life without Christ, you start to see very, very twisted wrong things sprout up within us individually and as communities when we try to do it without Jesus. Which makes it all the more sobering what he says in here. He says, you can do nothing without me. Now we just named off a lot of things because Jesus, I think you're a little off there. We, we obviously can do a lot without you, Jesus. We can do a ton without you, Jesus. A lot. But what Jesus is saying is that what we do without him the things that we try to do without him, it may produce fruit, but it will not be fruit that lasts. It will be things that fade. It will not ever really take root. It will wither and it will die. 
as we are now 14, almost 15 months into this church plant, I recognize that we are in a place where as we grow, we can learn processes and we can learn habits and we could do things very, very easily without Jesus. And it's easy in, in places like this where, where it's an all-hands-on-deck sort of a thing that we can, we can run towards burnout very easily. I recognize that. I know we have a lot of folks in here that put in a lot of time and a lot of volunteer hours to, to serve this place, to serve our children, to serve with Pampering Pathways, to serve in the band in the morning. And, and we're always in danger. Every church, no matter what size, big or small, is in danger of, of producing a kind of ministry that can work and functions and has structure and, and, and programs and whatnot. And it all can take place disconnected from the vine. The most important thing we can do in this season as our church, the most important thing any of you can do for our church is to abide, is to remain in Jesus. The last thing we need in this season is a bunch of people who are gung-ho on this mission, and I'm glad so many of us are, that are trying to do it without Jesus they're trying to pull away and, and do it on our own strength. The most important thing in this season for all of us in this church right now is to learn how to abide so that we can bear much fruit. What it means for us, too, is that our try harder, our, our religion of I have to measure up, while it seems like it's working, it's actually pulling us away. It's actually having the opposite effect of what we're trying to do. The harder we press into our own power, the more we actually pull away from the source instead of abiding and resting in Him. Spiritual growth is so counterintuitive in that way. When you think about it, when you think about a tree that's producing fruit, when you think about an apple tree, do you ever see an apple tree walking around and going, and there's an apple. No, you don't, do you? That's never happened. And also, that's gross. I recognize that. That's disgusting. You don't see that. And that's because apple trees aren't trying their hardest to produce fruit. Apple trees produce fruit because that's what apple trees do. And it should be the same with us in Christ. If we are followers of Jesus, we were made to bear fruit. We were made to live fruitful lives. And when we realize that it's not by our trying hard process of spiritual growth, and we simply settle into abiding in Jesus, we come to real and lasting fruit. We're made for fruitful lives. We're made to produce. That's who we are as followers of Jesus. Our own efforts and our own abilities are counterintuitive sometimes to just simply allowing God to do what he does in us. One of, one of the least favorite things that has ever entered into my household from someone's party are Chinese finger traps. These things right here. 
They put, some kid stuff puts them in parties, party stuff all the time, and then my kids get them. And you would not know the holy hell that has happened from these Chinese finger traps of my children putting their fingers in them and the screaming and whatnot. Because as their young minds recognize, that the more I pull away, the tighter it is. So I get scared and I just keep pulling and I keep pulling and it hurts and it hurts and it hurts and they scream and they scream. And then Eric and I go crazy. We go absolutely crazy, um, which we're in the process of doing right now, going insane because of our children screaming. And finally, you have to stop them. You have to calm them down. And you say, the, the way that you get out of this is you simply push towards the center and just relax. That's it. And then, here, I'll take it off. It's fine. Just, just relax and press in. Just press, press in. It's about as good of a picture as I can think of for spiritual growth. It's just simply stop pulling so hard. Stop trying so hard and just, just press in. One of my favorite authors is Dallas Willard. He's one of the most influential writers and theologians of the last uh, 50 years. And he um, was asked one time in a, in a workshop, if you could think of one word that describes Jesus, what would it be? So what do you think? Like, just throw it out there. Like, what's one word you would use to describe Jesus? Loyal? Wise? Loving? Holy? Anything else? Wise? Abides? Oh, teacher's pet back there. <laughs> Dallas Willard, the one word when he was asked, I mean, it just came out of nowhere. He said the one word when he was asked what... He would describe Jesus as, he said, I would describe him by one word as relaxed. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of other words. There's holy, there's, there's wise, there's powerful. All these different words we could use for Jesus. And you use the word relaxed. And he went on to explain that because Jesus lived a life with his father that wasn't depending on him measuring up and striving harder and being always under a sense of pressure, Jesus just naturally was relaxed because he expected the father to bear fruit in his lives. In fact, he says in John 5, he says, truly, I tell you that the son, of, that, that, that son is not able to do anything on his own, but... Only what the Father, he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son likewise does these things. So Jesus was not under a sense of pressure to do something and produce for the world around him. And because, simply because, he lived in that sort of way is actually what bore the fruit of his lives. He only did what the Father was doing. He expected God to already be at work all around him. And he was just joining God in that work. It's why our mission statement is very specific that we believe Jesus is restoring people who restored the world. And then we add on the tagline, and our mission is to join him. We say that because we believe Jesus is already at work all around us. It's not our job to strive and to create some sort of grand ministry of life somewhere out here because we know Jesus is already doing it. Our job is to abide in him enough to listen and to know where we can join him and bear fruit. You see, what happened at Pampering Pathways was a couple women here in our church that were abiding in Jesus. And they sensed that that was a place we could go and find out. And that, look at the fruit. Look at the fruit. 
Look at the fruit. Not because that was some great idea. That was because abiding in Jesus was bearing fruit. So practically, what does this look like to abide? What's it look like for us to, to slow down and leave try harder religion behind? One of my favorite books is a book called Emotionally Healthy Leader. It's by a guy named Pete Scazzaro. And he, he describes abiding as slowing down for loving union with Jesus. He says this. He says, bearing fruit requires slowing down enough to give Jesus direct access to every aspect of our lives. Just because God has access to everything that is true about us does not mean God has access to us. Think on that for a minute. Loving union is an act of surrender, giving God complete access, and we can't do that in a hurry. We must be humbly accessible with the door of our hearts continually open to him. Jesus doesn't force that on us. It's something that only we can do. One of the issues I've had along my spiritual journey is that I come to times where I feel like I'm not close to God, where I feel like God's far away. Ever felt that way? No, you guys are holy and perfect. I get that. No, I feel like God, sometimes in my life, I feel like he's far away. And, and, and when I feel that, one of the, one of the broken things in me, what, what, what it produces is I start thinking, if God, if I don't feel God, then God must be disappointed in me. Then God must be disappointed in the way I'm doing this. And so, so, so if that's the case, then, then maybe I need to do something for God. Maybe I need to serve more. Maybe I need to, to learn more about him. Maybe I need to do this Bible study and all these sort of things. And, and if I do enough stuff to please God, then I'll start feeling his presence again. And so, so it becomes this process, this cycle of I got to do more, I got to do more so I can please God. Because if I please God, I'll start feeling him again. I'll start getting that sense that he loves me again, and that's the way it is. And if, if, if that belief uh, is true, then, then what we truly believe is that we're, we're going to earn God's favor. We're going to earn God's presence. We're going to earn that, and that's a lie, That's not the gospel. The gospel is actually the opposite of that. It's not that our life for God opens up our life with him. The opposite, the good news today is that it is my life, it's our life with God that empowers my life for God. It's my life with him, my time with him that infuses my life with the power to go out and do things for God, to live my life for him. If we are living our life for God in order to try to get a sense of feeling like God is with us, we have walked into a knowingly weary, try-harder religion. And if you feel exhausted today by your expression of faith, there's a good chance that's where you are. If you're honest, you have thought that for me to grow that God would have to start loving me again. And I'd have to start working harder. And maybe you've been in that cycle of disappointment for so long that today you sit here so weary of trying to do anything else and moving forward. And if that's you, the good news is that today all that Jesus wants, all that Jesus wants of you is just for you to be with him. 
to abide in him, to remain in him, to rest in him. How would you live your life if the pressure was off? How would you live your life if it didn't depend on you to produce? Because that is the gospel. That when we depend on Jesus to bear fruit in us, we bear more fruit than we would ever even imagine. I want to close today with this quote from Henry Nouwen, one of my favorite authors. Powerful, powerful thing. He says, For most of my life, I have struggled to find God, to know God, to love God. I've tried hard to follow guidelines of my spiritual life, pray always, work for others, read the scriptures, and to avoid the many temptations to dissipate myself. I have failed many times, but always tried again, even when I was close to despair. But now I wonder whether I've sufficiently realized that during all this time, God has been trying to find me, to know me, and to love me. The question is not how am I to find God, but but how am I to let myself be found by Him? The question is not how am I to know God, but, but how am I to let myself be known by God? And finally, the question is not how am I to love God, but how am I to let myself be loved by God. God is looking into the distance for me, trying to find me, and longing to bring me home. Jesus, tonight, my prayer for us is that the burdens we carry in here today, that we would be able to bring to this table and find rest. You say in your word that come all who are weary heavy burden that you will give us rest you invite us to take your yoke upon you and learn from you and you say your yoke is easy and your burden is light if the burden feels heavy today Lord Jesus help us to lay it down and take up the lightness of your yoke May we leave behind the constant pressure to measure up, to produce in a world that values us very differently than you value us, God. May we be rooted and established in the fact that we are loved not by how much we produce, but by the fact that you in us have died for us, have lived for us, have been raised for us so that we could have an abundant life. Jesus today. Thank you that the pressure's off. We can rest in you. We pray this in Jesus' name.